0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to The Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member, so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen we pray that you are blessed re-love church family thank you so much for tuning in and worshiping and watching with us today i just pray that you've had a wonderful week and as we take time to dive into the word of god today i believe that god has a very special message for each and every one of you. Now, last week we had a guest speaker, um, Jonathan Leonardo, and many of you all responded to my messages, my text message that I sent out to you, talking about how you were blessed by the message. Some of you all gave me some great feedback, and I thank you for that. Um, Jonathan really did a phenomenal job at um, helping us to better understand Romans 6 and what this whole new life in Christ is really about. And after watching his message and kind of wrestling with it this week, I just kind of felt like, you know what? I think we need to keep this train going for a little while longer, right? So please forgive me if you felt like, okay, when is this identity series going to end? Well, it's not ending today. We're going to keep going. And partly because I just feel that this is so critical. It is so fundamental to our to our relationship with God, to our victory in Christ, and especially within this day and age with the political issues and the uh, protest and everything that's going on, identity is a major issue that we're wrestling with. I've had several conversations with many of you who have talked about how you're identifying, whether you identify as Democrat or Republican, or you believe in this, but you don't identify as this. And there's a lot of you all I know out there watching right now who are just really struggling. And so my burden is for us to really drive home the essence of who we are in Christ. And so we might just ride this identity series out to the end of the year, but I promise you it won't get repetitive. And if it does get repetitive, it means because it's something else that you need to hear and something else that needs to be driven into the depths of our heart. Because this is the reality is that we were raised and we grew up in a world which which really based our identity on our performance. Right. We've talked about this when you're in elementary school, you got gold stars because you did well. Right. And you were a student and you were the honor, the valedictorian and your identity was based largely on your performance. And because that is so tightly woven into the fabric of who we are, it's taking some time for us to unweave that. So this is not just a six point, seven point sermon series that we're going to hit it and then go on to the next one. But this is really something that I think is becoming core to who we are at Relo. I want you to get that. This is becoming core to who we are at Relove. And so as you, if you're a part of the Relove community already, or if you're thinking about becoming a part of the Relove community, I want you to know that Relove is about re-understanding our identity in Christ. That's what it means to be a part of the Relove community. Because ultimately, when we say Relove, we're talking about how God has called us to love people again. People that have offended us, people that have hurt us, people that have, 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 have done damage to us, and how God is calling us to love people again because we serve a God who loves us again over and over and over and over again. But how can you love someone again if you don't know who you fundamentally are? if you are still living in a place of hurt and if you're still living in a place of brokenness then it's going to be impossible to extend grace and love and mercy and goodness to other people and so we have to go to the root of who we are and and, and get reestablished in our personal identity in christ in order for us to live out this great call that we believe God has called us to live out, which is to be a community which loves the unlovable, that loves people, no matter what you've done, where you are, what your issues or your baggage or your brokenness might be, that you can find a place here where the people of God will love you by the grace of God. So we're gonna jump into the word of God today, and I'm excited about this message. And uh, before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again for this divine opportunity that you've given us to open your word. Lord, this is really a privilege to be able to sit, whether it's at home or in our cars or taking a walk, wherever we might be right now, and to be able to listen to the word of God preached is a privilege. There are countries and there are places on this planet that don't have this luxury. Lord, may we not take advantage of it. May we not minimize it. And so Lord, I just pray that in this moment right now that you would speak to your people, that you would speak clearly through me, that the message was, would come across, and that it would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to um, start, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today, right? And so I want you to turn into your Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you or on your phones, um, turn to John chapter 3. But before we get there, I'll, I'll never forget when I got married. I got married December 5th. 2010, right, that is the correct date, December 5th, 2010. And uh, so this coming year will be our 10th year anniversary, right, am I right with that? Yeah, it'll be 10 years, right, good. 10 year, it'll be our 10 year anniversary. We got married nearly 10 years ago, and um, when my wife and I, when Holly and I got married, it was great, the wedding was beautiful, she came down the aisle, beautifully dressed, right, in a very expensive Vera Wang dress, uh, we had family and friends there. It was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, we celebrated, we went to my, our house after the wedding. Um, we got in a car, we drove to Atlanta, we slept in a hotel, we got on a plane, we went to our honeymoon to St. Lucia, and we had a great time. We were in St. Lucia for about a week, um, and it was just beautiful, beautiful ceremony. I said I do, she said I do. Um, we consummated the marriage, amen, praise the Lord. Right, had a great time, we came home. But I'm gonna tell you that in spite of the wedding and the honeymoon and the consummation and all of the great stuff that we did together, it really didn't feel official. Stay with me now. It really didn't feel official until we went to the DMV and she got her, at the time, Tennessee driver's license and she actually changed the name on her Tennessee driver's license. And she went from Holly Watkins to Holly Yolorda. And when when she went and she got it changed and then we were walking, I'll never forget, we were walking out of the DMV together with her license in hand. And as I was looking at her picture and her name, for some reason in that moment, it was just like the seriousness of the moment fell upon me. And I was just like, wow, like this, Is for real, for real, for real, for real. Like, this ain't, like, you can't send this back. Like, I can't return this to her father. Like, this is, like, this is legit, right? I mean, yeah, we had the marriage, we had the wedding, and we had the honeymoon, but her name was now changed to Holly Yolorda, and that official state-issued document, for whatever reason, it made me feel like, wow, now we are really, really, really one, and she belongs to me, I belong to her, and we are now married. I don't know what it was about that moment, but I think it had something to do with actually seeing that her name was changed. And her name being changed really was an indication, and it really was a reflection of decisions that she had made and a new orientation, a new position that she was now assuming as my wife and I was assuming as her husband. Now granted, by the time we went to the DMV y'all, we had already been living together maybe for like a week or two because we went after the wedding. We had, she had moved all her stuff into our house. We actually bought the house, I bought the house but she was very much so a part of the selection process because we actually bought the house when we were engaged so we had moved into this house, you know. she had her closet, her stuff, all of her stuff was in the house, my stuff was in the house, we were living together already, but now her name had been changed and it just became, for me in that moment, official. And when I think about that instance, I can't help but think about, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in John chapter 3. Let's take a look at it together. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a very interesting conversation with one of the religious rulers at the time. And if you are familiar with the Bible and you've read it or you've been around Christian or church for any length of time, you might be familiar with this passage. In John chapter 3, verse 1, a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he has a series of questions for Jesus. Look what he says. He says, there was a man, verse one, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And this is what he said. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Hmm, Like, let's not rush through this. He says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence That God is with you, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? explained Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now let's just stop right there and take a look at this. So Nicodemus, a religious leader, comes to Jesus Under the cloak of darkness, he doesn't want the other religious leaders or the other people to see him. He finds Jesus somewhere tucked away. He comes to him and he asks him this question. He says, "Um, uh, we know, he doesn't even ask him a question. He says, we know that you are a teacher sent from God and that your miraculous signs and are evidence that God is with you. And the very first thing Jesus says to him, check this out. The very first thing that Jesus says is, I tell you the truth unless you are born again now it's interesting that this was what Jesus decided to lead the conversation with. Now, Nicodemus comes and like, listen, we know you're a teacher. We know that you're teaching us about God, and you're teaching us about righteousness. We know you're teaching us about sin. We know you're teaching us about holiness and, and, and helping the poor. We know that you're teaching us about the, the, the to, to lift the burdens of the oppressed and to set the captives free. We're no, we know that you can break down prophecy. We know that you're a teacher, and the signs, the miracles that you have performed up until this point are evidence of that the fact. Fact that you were sent by God and the very first thing Jesus decides to say to him is Nicodemus you must be born again it's almost like Jesus is trying to say yes out of all the things that I can teach you and out of all the things that I have taught you I don't want you to miss the most important thing like yeah prophecy is good and holiness and righteousness and and helping your neighbor and lifting the burdens of the oppressed and all of that stuff is good but don't miss the most important thing. Jesus says, I tell you, verse three, you must be born again. And if you are not born again, he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now now, this truth, this, this word that Jesus delivered to Nicodemus, this is challenging Nicodemus because Nicodemus asked the follow question. Well, born again, like what in the world are you talking about? How is it possible that a man can go back into, an old man at that, can go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus' mind is purely on the physical. It's purely on the temporal. It's purely, purely on the natural. It's, he's, he's taking this spiritual concept of being born again, and he's trying to apply it to a physical world. And he's like, wait, wait, how, how is it that logistically, logistically, How are you born again? And Jesus' response to him is like, listen, you must be born of the water and the spirit, for humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. But then I want to show you something, because down in verse nine, Nicodemus asks, a, an indicting question, right? A revealing question. Have you ever been in class and like you raised your hand in class and you asked a question and the question that you asked was a good question, but it was also a question that revealed that you did not read. <laughs> like you did not do your work. It was one of those questions where like the professor looks at you like, mm, if you would have read the book, you would have known the answer to that question. Well, this was one of those questions that Nicodemus just asked, right? He says in verse nine, how are these things possible? How is it possible that that you can go into your mother's womb a second time? How is it possible that that the Spirit of God can rebirth you? How is that possible? And look at Jesus' response in verse 10. He says, you are a respected Jewish leader, excuse me, a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Just a little bit of shade, right? Not a lot of shade, just a little bit of shade. Just like, how is it that you... A respected Jewish teacher, an A student, you know, you are the teacher's aide, right? You grade all the tests and quizzes, right? How is it that you who have hung around the word of God and hung around the temple and have gone to the school of the Pharisees and you have all of this knowledge of doctrine and religious beliefs, how is it that you don't know this fundamental truth? Now, I I don't want us to be too hard on Nicodemus because the reality is, is that for most of us, we are, to a large degree, like Nicodemus. Like we were many of us were either raised in the church and specifically those of you all who are watching who were raised within the Seventh-day Adventist faith tradition, we were raised being taught this thing about the Sabbath. We know about the state of the dead. State of the dead meaning what happens to you when you die. We were raised in Sabbath school about learning about prophecy and the second coming, how there's no thing called this secret rapture, but how it'll be a literal rapture. We were taught this thing about the 2300 day prophecy and everything that that means. Like many of us were raised in this faith tradition, believing and understanding certain religious tenets and doctrines of our church, but yet we still fundamentally don't really understand what it means to be born again. And I know this is true just by many of your feedback, much of your feedback to me concerning this identity series. It's like, what what do you mean? Like in christ and as a result i am i'm no longer a sinner like like we just don't really understand that and so similarly nicodemus also did not fully understand it and so jesus is like how is it that you were raising this thing and that you are teaching this thing and yet you still don't fully understand i mean for us for many of us what we've done is we've actually viewed this thing back here called the the baptistry Baptism, we view this thing as something that we that we do and engage in when we want to accept Christ. I mean, this is not familiar, this is not new, excuse me, this is not new information. We know many of you all have actually been baptized back here. I've been baptized, not in this one, but I've been baptized before. And when I was baptized, it was really largely based on my desire to number one want to be saved. And number two, I wanted to like accept Christ as my savior, which is good. But at the core, baptism is not just about accepting Christ, but many of us. And this is no shade to previous pastors. This is no shade to previous Sabbath school teachers. Many of us just fundamentally have not really understood what Christ meant when he said you must be born of the water and of the spirit. That going down into this watery grave is not so much about, yeah, I want to accept Christ, but going down into this watery grave is essentially saying that I now no longer identify as a sinner. I now no longer identify as someone who has fallen. That, that identity, that, that person is now going into this watery grave, and I'm now coming up, and I'm coming up identifying now as a new person in Christ. Now, that's not a new person in Christ who never makes mistakes. That's not a new person in Christ who doesn't occasionally trip and stumble in sin, because the Bible tells us that a righteous man falls seven times, but he keeps on getting back up again and again. But what we have done is we have felt that somehow if I go into this baptistry and I come up and then that same night I make a mistake and stumble and fall and sleep with my girlfriend or get high or get drunk or cuss out my my sister, that if I somehow do that, that somehow that has made this baptism null and void. Like this baptism was intended to perfect us, but this baptism is not intended to perfect us. What this baptism says is that I am now associating my life with the death of Christ, and that now I'm living a new life based on a new identity. So when Christ says you must be born again, of the water and of the spirit, he's saying, you must go into this watery grave and how you formally uh, identified yourself in this world must be put to rest. And now how you now presently identify in yourself in this world now emerges. I, I love how, how Paul describes this in Romans chapter six, Verses one, and Jonathan talked about this last week and did a beautiful job at it. He says that, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Verse two, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Verse three, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, he says, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism and just as christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of his father now we also may live new lives in christ he says when you get baptized it is you saying to yourself i am joining my life with christ in his death and now i am coming up a new person in christ and i might stumble i might fall but my behavior isn't what is driving my identity. What's driving my identity is the new reality and the promise of God's word that because I have died with Christ and I'm now risen with Christ, that I am now a new creature in Jesus Christ, that I am now an overcomer. And even though I might occasionally stumble and fall along the way, that is not who I am. Because who I was was buried here. There should be a lot of bones and skeletons in this place. And now who I am in Christ is a new person all together. I I want you to really get this, that that Nicodemus comes and Jesus is trying to communicate. Nicodemus, understand that the most important thing I can teach you is this heavenly reality. And that's why when you continue to read John in chapter three, Jesus is like, uh, Nicodemus, like how can we talk about earthly things if you can't even perceive heavenly things? He's like, how can you get this, if you can't get this concept of identity and being born again into your spirit, how is it that you can really understand heavenly concepts? Because this is like the first base. Like if you want to progress in your walk with me, and if you want to truly step into who I am and truly live a life fulfilled in Christ, the first base is understanding who you are in Christ. Jesus. And so this is what Nicodemus, this is what Nicodemus says to him. How is this possible? And Jesus's response is, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, both of the water and of the spirit. Now, I love how Jesus describes this to Nicodemus, because when Jesus says you must be born again, I think what what prompted Nicodemus's question, which was, how does a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? is because Jesus actually used a very specific word when he said again. Right. He used a very specific word. Now, in the Greek, there are potentially two words that you can use to communicate the word again in the English. A-G-A-I-N. Right. There is the word palin, which is the Greek word for again. And then there's their word, the Greek word, anothen, which is the Greek word for again. And both palin and anothin communicate the concept of again. However, they have two very clearly different meanings. You see, if I come to you and I say um, palin it, do it again, what I'm basically communicating is that Anyone can do it again. So let me just use an illustration for you. So let's say um, you have received a a recipe from your mother. It's your mother's famous macaroni and cheese recipe. And no one could ever make it like your mother because your mother just knew exactly how all, to put all the ingredients together. And she just had this special touch. It was, the, it, was her, it was the hands, it wasn't the recipe, it was the hands that made that thing special. And your mother, she made this recipe and she passed this recipe on down to you. And so during Thanksgiving, which is coming up, you say, you know what, I wanna be able to make like that macaroni and cheese, just like my mother made it. So I'm going to make it, I'm going I'm to pay-lin it. I'm going to make it again, just like my mother made it. Well, technically, if you try to make that macaroni and cheese recipe again, like your mother made it, you would be pay it, if I can use that expression. Because pay means that anyone can do it again. But if, if someone said to you, if your daughter came to you and you said, hey, mom, can you make grandma's um, mac and cheese recipe anothin again can you make it anothin what your daughter would really be asking you is not mom can you make it but can the original person who originally made it make it again okay listen i don't i don't want to miss you i don't want to lose you right what anothin means is that the original author has to do the act again and that it can't be done again by anyone else except the original person who did it the first time. So it's almost like me trying to create a copy of the Mona Lisa, right? And I can, I can paint it again, but because I am not the original author of the Mona Lisa, it will not be a nothin, it would be Palin. What Jesus said to Nicodemus was, you must be born a Nothin. What he's essentially communicating is the person who birthed you the first time has to birth you a second time. It's not something you can do yourself. If it was something you could do yourself, then Jesus would have said, you must be born Palin. But he said, you must be born Anothan. That's why Nicodemus asked the question, how is it possible that I can go into my mother's womb and my mother birthed me again. Because Nicodemus understood the difference between Palin and Anothan. But you and I, without having that Greek understanding, don't understand the difference between Palin and anothin. And so we read this text which says, you must be born again, and we interpret it like, okay, there's something I have to do to be born again. And Christ is saying, no, there's not something you have to do to be born again. There's something I have to do to birth you again. because it's a nothing that the person who originally birthed you the first time has to birth you the second time. And so Jesus says, uh, Nicodemus, we're not talking about like earthly things. We're not talking about physical birth. Uh, Shouldn't you know this? We're not talking about, you know, you going into your mother's womb. We're talking about heavenly realities. We're talking about spiritual birth that when we created, we meaning God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we created Adam and Eve in the garden, we birthed them the first time and we put within them spiritual life the first time. The devil came in Genesis chapter 3, and he stole that spiritual life for, from them, and they began to die. And so now what Christ is saying is, you must be birthed or born, pay a, a, a nothin, you must be born again, just like we birthed you the first time. So this whole idea of being born again is understanding that this birthing process is not just me pulling up my bootstraps and saying I'm going to will it and I'm gonna grin and bear it and force myself to be right and force myself to do right and force myself to talk right and live right. That's not what we're talking about. What this idea of being born again means is I need Christ to actually come into me and regenerate his life in me the same way his life was generated originally in Adam and Eve before sin. So, Nicodemus, so relove community. You must be born Anothin. And this is the first step in the identity process. Because in order for me to embrace my new identity, I recognize I must go down into the watery grave and I must associate myself with the death of Christ. And as I make the decision to associate myself with the death of Christ, Christ then steps inside of me and he begins to regenerate his character and his love and his life and his power and his grace and his faithfulness and his consistency and his determination and his grit and his resilience and his perfection in me. And it's not something I do on my own. It is the work of Christ through his spirit in my life. That's why when I get to heaven and I stand on that sea of glass, I can take off my crown and I can throw it at the feet of Jesus and I can recognize that it was only by grace and grace alone that I am here because it's nothing that I did in and of myself. It was all Christ's work in me. That's why the Bible tells us, Paul says, Paul says, he which began a good work in you, Philippians 1 verse 6, he which began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It doesn't say he which began a good work in you will be faithful that you complete it. No, Christ started something in you and Christ will finish that something in you. Now, don't get it twisted. You and I definitely have a role to play in this process. We have to open our hearts. God has given us free will. He's not going to force his love upon us. No, in fact, Jeremiah chapter 31, I think verse 3 says, Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you to me. It doesn't say, have I forced you to me? Have I imp- imposed my will on you? It says, No, I have dangled my love in front of you, and my love is so potent, it is so um um intense, it is so appealing that it is actually drawing us freely, independently. We are making the choice to accept Christ. So, we must be born again as the beginning work, the identity work of Christ in us. And everything that we have established for the last seven weeks has really been us trying to uh, just have a theological and theoretical understanding of identity, right? Now, where we're going is, okay, What steps do I actually take to live out this new identity? And the first step you take is baptism. Because baptism says, I no longer want to live under a false identity. I wanna live under the new identity that I have in Christ. And I wanna get baptized. Now this is the challenge that I think many of us have experienced. You and I got baptized. And you've heard that expression, you go down a wet devil, And you come up or you go down a dry devil and you come up a wet devil. (laughs) You've heard that expression before. Many of us, we got baptized. And when we got baptized, it wasn't an identity shift. It was just an identity uh, addition. Right. So we just took this idea of being a Christian and we added it to our life. So now not only am I, you know, all of these other things, a sinner and um, someone who likes to sleep around and someone who does drugs and, you know, someone who likes to go to parties and someone who's a liar, not only am I all these other things, but on top of that, now I also added the term in the identity of Christian. And it's almost as if being baptized for many of us was just a you know, we take our plate to the buffet and we just add one more thing. Okay, now now I'm Christian, so I add Christian to the plate. But that's not what baptism is about. But that's what happens to many of us. And listen, no shade, like, hear me, like, no shade. It's almost like there are couples today, no shade, hear me now, there are couples today who get married, but they keep each other's, they keep their original name. So it's almost like my wife and I get married, but I'm still, I'm gonna be a Yolorda and she's gonna be a Watkins, Right, And yes, we're married. Yes, we're sleeping together. Yes, we have kids together and we're married, but we have not taken names, the name of each other. And for many of us, that is how we have treated our Christian walk. Yes, I'm going to sleep with Christ. Yes, I'm going to live with Christ. I'm going to come to church with Christ. I'm going to call myself a Christian, but I'm not really going to take on his life his power, his presence, his peace, his heart. But God is saying to us, I don't want to just give you my name. I want to give you my life and my power and my heart. It it talks about this, actually, in Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4, there's a situation that happens, and the Bible says that in that day, I just want to read it for you quickly. It says, in that day, Seven women will take hold of one man. Seven women, seven being the representative number of the church. Seven women. The church, essentially, as they are saying, is that the church will take hold of one man, take hold of Christ in that day. And, they, and these, this is what the women will say. This is what the church will say. This is what they will say. We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name to take away our shame. What Isaiah is trying to communicate is that there is going to come a day, prophetically he's speaking, where individuals who are associated with the church will, will, will say, you know what, I'll live my own life, I'll provide for myself, I'll, I will clothe myself in my own righteousness, just let me be called a Christian. And if I can just be called a Christian, that will at least take away my shame. But God, don't worry about it. I got my own righteousness and I got my own life and I got my own power and I got my own everything. That's the exact same thing that we read in Timothy, where it talks about in the last days, evil men and seducers will so be so be bad and and, 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 and despisers of things that are good. And then at the end, he says, and they will deny the power thereof that you will claim yourself, you will claim to be Christian, you'll claim to be religious, but because your identity is truly not in Christ, you're basically saying, you know what, I got my own righteousness, just let me call myself a Christian. That's why two weeks ago we talked about, let us no longer designate ourselves or go by this designation of Christian. Let us now go by the, the reality, the position of being in Christ. Yeah, this is the word. So what do we do with all of this knowledge that we've gained about our identity? First thing we do is we get baptized. And when we get baptized, it is not just adding one more thing to your plate. It is not just you saying, okay, I'm going to move in with Christ, but I'm going to live in my own bedroom. I'm going to have my own closet. He's going to have his stuff. This ain't a duplex situation, Right? but I'm actually gonna to go to the DMV, <laughs> come on now, and I'm actually have him change my name so that I am no longer Seth Yolorda, but I am now in Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died for me and who loves me. We get baptized. There are some of you all right now who have never been baptized, You've been hearing this concept and this idea of being in Christ, and you feel like, man, I need, 2020 has beat me up. I recognize that I need to be joined to a savior. And you want to accept Christ as your savior. You want to accept your new identity in Christ. You can't get there, but through baptism. He tells us this in his word. That unless you are baptized, unless you identify with my death, you cannot be saved, because salvation is not about a belief system. Salvation is about identity, and out of that identity flows behavior. Salvation is not about oh believing what day we go to church on, or believing that when your parents die, they your, your loved ones die, they stay in the grave. Salvation is not about you know these the doctrines of the church per se. Salvation is about have you so identified with Christ that the life you are now living is actually Christ living in you. That is salvation. And so I want to make an appeal to someone right now who's watching. And my appeal is that you would decide to get baptized. We're planning a baptism here at Relove. We're planning it for the month of December. I think we said December 19th. And on December 19th, we're going to have a baptism that's going to be safe and COVID-free. It might be in this baptistry, or we might just go down to the beach, or we might do it in an in a, in a, in a, a external baptistry pool outside in the courtyard of our church. But we're planning a baptism on December 19th, and there's someone right now who's watching this who says, you know what, Pastor, I need to get baptized. In fact, there's probably someone watching this right now who says, you know what, I've been baptized, but Pastor, I need to get re-baptized. Because my first baptism, it was just me putting on another scoop of food on my plate called Christian. It wasn't me really understanding that I have been now identified with the death of Christ. If you fall in those categories, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to send you a text message. Right now, you should be receiving a text message from our church. And in that message, that text, I want you to respond by clicking that link and going to the connection card and I want you to fill it out. And it might be baptism, it might be rebaptism. And if you did not get a text message this moment right now, then it's because we don't have your number. But if you are still a part of that group and you say, "You know what, I didn't get a text message, pastor, but I I want to make my decision for Christ." Then what I want you to do is I want you to text belong to 77222 and when you text belong to 77222 you will receive a message from us and I want you to click that link and I want you to fill out that form and we'll begin the process of preparing you for baptism. As a church family, uh, this identity in Christ is really what we as a church are called to do. Matthew 28 tells us, it's what we call the Great Commission. And in this Great Commission, Jesus says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching these new disciples to obey all the things I've commanded them. The very first thing that Jesus says to them is, go make disciples, and the way that you make disciples, the very first thing you do for them is you baptize them. Because Jesus understood that baptism is the first step in the new life process. It's the first step you take to publicly say, and yes, it is a public decision, right? Many of you all may be under the impression that baptism is a private, oh, it's just between me and God. And yes, there is a, a private element to it, but it is a public declaration that I am now a new person in Christ. That is the first step. And so we want to invite you to be a part of this baptism and to take that first step. And if you haven't been baptized or you want to be rebaptized, this is for you. And if you are of that group of individuals out there who say, you know what, Pastor, I've already been baptized and I, I know who I am in Christ, then listen, there's someone that is in your life that needs to be baptized. And I, what I want you to do is I want you to fill out that form for them. Right by faith, I want you to say, "Okay, Pastor, I got a, I got a brother. He don't know Christ. He needs to get baptized. Fill out that form for him." Now we're not gonna call him. We're not gonna put you out there like that. But we will start praying for him, right? And we'll call you and start praying with you for him. If you know someone who doesn't know their identity in Christ, they may be living with you. They may be working with you. You may be their parent. You may be their. You may be their. You may be their parent or they may be your child. Whomever they are, fill out that form for them so that we can prepare their hearts through the Holy Spirit to accept Christ and to be baptized. Friends of mine, community, re community, I pray that you have heard and received this message with open arms and open hearts and that you will understand Christ. Yes, I am getting baptized. I am identifying with you and now I am living a new life in Christ. And even though I might stumble and fall, listen, my name is official. It's on that 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 government heavenly ordained issued driver's license, license to live. This is now who I am in Christ. Jesus. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, We thank you for what you have taught us through your word, that you are calling us, you are drawing us into a love relationship with you. And the first step we take is baptism. And as we get baptized, you come in and begin that regeneration process where you are actually birthing us again, that you were the one who was completing this perfect work in our life. God, my prayer is that each and every person who's watching this and who's listening to this would make a decision for themselves to fully surrender their hearts to you and to identify with you in death and in life so that they can say, like Paul said in Galatians three twenty, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not me living, it's Christ living in me. God, that is my prayer for your people. We thank you for this moment. For all of those who have filled out that form, God, I pray that you would just visit them and speak to their hearts, reassure them of the decision that they made. When the devil comes in and tries to discourage them and to get them to have fears or doubts or questions, God, may you just reassure them that they are making the right step and that they would follow you with all of their hearts. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.